bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this, we have this text, and it's an amazing text here about love and abiding in love. And <clears throat> Jesus is sharing this, this, this command, this, this law of love that is above everything else. Um, and last week, we had looked at the first eight verses in John 15, and Jesus is teaching them that he is the, the true vine, and that he um, supplies everything that we need for us to bear fruit. And so he said that the Father comes, and, and if um, any branch is not bearing fruit, he cuts it off and throws it in the fire. And any branch that is bearing fruit will be pruned so that it may bear more fruit. So that's the context here. And then specifically at the end there, Jesus said, so abide in me and I in you. And then he says, and my words in you. And from our vantage point, we know that he's talking about scripture. We know that he's talking about the word of God, that we would abide in the word of God. And so it's really important that we know that because we get here into this passage. Now he's talking about love, but he's also talking about commandments. And he's talking about following and and obeying And if we don't know the word, then we don't know what to obey. We don't know what to listen to. We don't know where to go. So love is something that is incredibly important for all of us. I think we all desire love. We desire to receive it. We desire to show it. And we, as a culture, talk a lot about love. Um, But we know that people show love and receive love in different ways, don't they? I've been doing the – Melissa and I did the Enneagram – personality test and it's clear as you read those that the way that people think about life and perceive things is different and that's going to be the same for love and how love should be shown or received but there is also elements of love that are universal right that anybody can recognize that anybody can see in somebody else and so i found this list it's quotes of children um, who were asked to describe love and it's pretty profound so (laughs) These, are, these kids are all age 8 or under. It says, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Rebecca, age 8. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Billy, age 4. Love is when you go out to eat and... Give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Chrissy, age six. That is love. Especially if they're Chick-fil-A waffle, you know. <laughs> that's, uh, that's real love right there. Uh, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Terry, age four. Love is when my mommy makes, a, makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Danny, age seven. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. Nika, age six. I think she had been to Sunday school. Right? <laughs> a six-year-old doesn't say that without being taught that. <laughs> uh, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Noel, age seven. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Tommy, age six. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. Claire, age six. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Amen. Elaine, age five. You really shouldn't. You really should. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. 
but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget, Jessica, age eight. So there are elements of love that all of us desire and, and can see in others and, and want and are capable of giving. But love can also, what, be misunderstood? It can be oversimplified, it can be redefined, and it can be abused, too. For example, I love pizza. I do. But it's probably not the type of love we're talking about today. Or the type of love that Jesus is talking about in this text, right? I do love pizza. But that's a different thing. So it's a redefined um, meaning. And so that happens a lot. But in our culture today, some like you know hashtags and popular things that are going on around right now is love trumps hate or love has no gender. So they're teaching a certain message in those things, right? So there's redefining happening. And so where do we go for the right definition of love? Do we go to social media? Do we go to politics? Uh, do we look up hashtags? Um, do we go to today's psychologists? Enneagram tests, right? Love personality tests. Where do we go to know true love? Well, Time Magazine <laughs> says that we need to redefine love. This is a quote. The word is mostly used according to the first definition given in the dictionary, an intense feeling of deep affection. In other words, love is what one feels. And they go on to say, love should be seen not as a feeling, but as an enacted emotion. To love is to feel and act accordingly, um, or to act lovingly. So and then you keep reading the article. It says then, um, in Genesis 22, is the first time that love shows up. And it's not in a romantic sense, but between a parent and a child. And in the article, they really write that love is something that has to be displayed and shown and acted upon. It's not just an emotion. And I, we would agree with that because that's what the Bible teaches. So Time Magazine got it right. And we should look to the Bible for the definition of love. We should look to Scripture to learn about love. A wonder... Um, yeah, sorry. House church. Um, so this text today talks about love. And we're going to see in this very first verse where love begins, who defines it, and who we should emulate. Right? So let's read John 15, 9 again. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So the Father is the constant. If you're going to test love, the Father is the constant by which you test it. Okay? He is what we test everything by because he has pure and true love. And it comes from him generously to all of us. So Jesus is saying here, the Father has loved me. I have also loved you. Abide in this love. Jesus is defining it. He's being really clear about the type of love that we should abide in, the type of love that we should copy and uh, imitate. Let's keep reading verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is strange. This is different than how today's culture would define love. Right? Love is obedience? How many of you have seen that hashtag? If you love me, okay. Right? Like, like that's not trending right now. 
So why and how is that different? I'm asking a question. Why and how is that different? Anybody? Holy Spirit's moving in that area. <laughs> yeah. With today's media, it's all about itself, individual, it's self-fulfilling, it's instant gratification. This yep. is the exact opposite. It's submitting to higher power. Yeah. So. Yeah. Lee, is that similar to what you said? Or you you want to add on that? So love right now in culture, everybody thinks that love just means freedom, as sure. opposed to like think of religion or Christianity or whatever, this love, when they think of obedience, that's not what they think. Because right. we think of it as freedom, but they just think of it as, like, just the obedience part. Right. Okay. So, if the, lawther, if the father, the lawther, if the father is the constant for love, and how we should test it and, and view it, um, that means that it's not relative, right? And I think what you guys are both saying um, is that if it's about self or if it's about freedom, that means it can change and it can move and it becomes relative to each individual. But if we are judging what love is based upon looking at the Father, then there's a constant there and it's not relative. Love is defined. It's determined. Um, so is it better? And what makes it better? I think that's the point, though, is that today like any type of love or let's go with romance is like yeah. it's it's not constant like everyone keeps changing their identity so they keep changing the love identity yeah. and like I've had a conversation before like, when I wasn't married with a girl and we had a really good conversation over dinner and she was like ready to date forever just because it wasn't it wasn't like hey let's use you and I was like where's this coming from like we just sat for an hour and a half and it was because there was no constant of love like you show Jesus and like you mean it and you show that love that will not fade, that's whatever people want because they just want God. Yeah. And God doesn't change. And realistically we don't have a father figure half of us in our lives that doesn't change because yeah. usually they're gone or they, they they change. So when we have that constant, you know, that's what you're saying, that's what that love is founded on. That's like what our hearts yeah. that's the void our hearts need to I think it being constant and not relative and sure, determined, is what makes it better, right? And and since that's true, and the Father gives us true, pure love, then when it's talking about obedience and commandments and so forth, if we understand that it's from a true, pure, genuine place, then the commandments that come from that place are good, true, pure, and something to be followed. Um, And help us understand and follow true love. So, John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I think we need to read this verse more often as Christians because sometimes as Christians, we think like God is against fun, he's against joy, right? Like it's like a hard law sort of, sort of belief And here Jesus is saying, hey, listen, the love that I'm talking about and the commandments that I'm talking about are for your joy. And I am concerned about your joy. I want you to be filled with joy. Jesus truly wants each one of us to have the best life that we can live. I know that sounds super hippy-dippy or very prosperity, but he does. Right here he's saying, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. 
Like, not just a little bit of joy, but he wants you to have true and perfect and complete joy. That sounds pretty good, right? Well, that's why he's writing this. Uh, John's telling us this, and Jesus is saying it, is that Jesus is telling us the Father's love, and when we obey his commandments, we have full joy. I don't know about you, I want full and complete joy. Well, where do I go for it? Pizza? <laughs> right? It's not going to complete me. Even my wife and my kids, who I love dearly, at the end of the day, they're not going to complete me. I have to go to the Father and learn from him and receive and abide in that love. And that is where we have complete joy. Twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So when we love according to the way that the Father loves and the way that He defines it, life is better. Church is better. Our families are better. Our community is better and even our society will be better. Because it's a love that's not defined by each individual. It's a love defined by the Father and is from the Father. And we are simply abiding in His love. And it's going to improve everything from your own inner peace and joy to your family, your community, and even our society when we abide in the Father's love. And we're we're allowing Him to define how we love others, not ourselves define how we're going to love others. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So it's a self-sacrificing love. And this, to remind you guys, this is the night before Jesus would be crucified. So first off, he's telling them, I'm about to show you perfect love. Complete love. True love. But I want you to learn from it. And I want you you as my followers to practice true love, which is a self-sacrificing love. It's not a selfish love. It's not a self-seeking love. It's a selfless love. One that will even lay down its own life for others. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Again, is this how we would define friendship in our culture? (laughs) So like, Victor, we'll be friends if you do what I say. (laughs) right like he's immediately like yeah i don't want to be friends with you (laughs) like that doesn't sound good um but we have to know where this is coming from so for me to say to victor is weird but for god almighty who created life knows how life should be lived who created friendship knows how friendship should should be Right? For him to say, you'll be my friends if you do it the way that I say. He's defining the terms for friendship. He's de- defining the terms for good relationships. Because he's defined the terms for love. So when God is saying this, yeah. like, you'll be my friends if you do what I command you. He's saying, I've, de- I've defined what it looks like. Love, friendship, relationships. I have determined it because he's the author of life. And he is the one that we should go, all right, what does real friendship look like? Show me, Lord. What does real relationships and real love look like? Show me. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. For what a servant does, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. 
but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is pretty cool. So he says, once we are friends with Jesus, we're no longer um, confused about life. We're no longer confused about the will of God. To be friends with God is to know the heart of God, to know what he wants, what he desires. So let me ask you, do you know what God is doing? Do you know what he does, what his patterns are like, what his desires are? That's what it is to be a friend with God, not just a servant of God, but a friend with God is to know his heart, to know his desires, his plans, the patterns in which he operates, the way he operates, what he's doing. I'd say this similar to last week. If you don't, it's because you're not in the word. If you're in the word, you will see how God operates, what he's like what he does, what his will is, and you know him and become friends with him. So let's look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. So the purpose in all of this for us that have been chosen and appointed is to bear fruit. When we abide in God's love, when we allow him to define love, to define friendship, to define how we should operate and act in our life, we receive joy for sure. We even full and complete joy. But more than that, what comes out of us is fruit. As we're abiding in him, we are producing fruit that glorifies him. That's going back to last week. Uh, text and then what's amazing and I will tell you one of the hardest verses in the Bible um, or some of the hardest verses in the Bible for me to believe are ones like this where it says that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you like immediately we're all thinking well there's yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> right I'm not sure if he will give me whatever I ask Again, it's of course when we're abiding in his love, when we're abiding in his commandments, we're obeying him, when we're in his will, when we're friends of God and know his heart, we're praying in line with him and whatever we ask in Jesus' name, we receive. So when we're out of sync with God in our prayer life, it just means that we need to get back into friendship with him get back into a loving relationship with him, abide in his love, and pretty soon we see our prayers, again, aligning with his will. And we start to see our prayers being answered. So ask, and you will receive. Verse 17, these things I commanded you, that you love one another. So he gets it to application at this point here. I'm commanding you, love one another. Everything I'm talking about here, you need to love one another, care for one another, take care of one another. It's a way to close up this text, that we would love one another. The fruit that he's seeking is our love for one another. Paul, the apostle in Romans 13 says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except 
the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That passage is profound and hard for, I think, us as Americans, right? Like, we don't want to owe people stuff. We don't want to be in debt. And, like, I owe you a love debt? What does that even mean? <laughs> right? Like, what does that even mean? But Paul wants us to view our relationships with others as though we owe a debt of love to them that we need to pay off, right? It's a continuing debt that apparently doesn't go away. And then he says that love is going to fulfill the law. So we must love one another. Jesus is saying, I command it. Paul is saying, do it as, you, as though you owe it to the person you're sitting across from. That takes humility, doesn't it? Because our flesh says, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> right? I don't owe you anything. If you're nice to me, then I'll be nice to you. Right? <laughs> That's the flesh. I can't love you right now. I don't even love myself. Right? What's biblical is you owe them your love because Jesus has loved you, because Jesus laid his life down for you. So he's saying here, hey, like, I'm commanding it. You owe them your love. That takes a lot of humility, as I said. And I believe that a love is above all. Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. True love. Pure love. So, how can we know if we're in his love? Let me ask another question. How do you even know who the Father is? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know what their relationship is like? How do you know what Jesus' relationship with his disciples was like? How do we know what the friendship with God looks like? See, all of these questions have the same answer, and that's by being in the Word. And Jesus said in John um, 15, 8, I believe, or 7, uh, that we must abide in him. Him and us, and he clarifies, and my words must abide in you. So we can't define these things or have clarity on these things unless we're in the word of God. And so let's not take advantage of God's word. Let's not say, I think I kind of get the general gist of it, so I'll just kind of go and run my life from here. We need to be in the word of God. The word of God is going to solve most of our problems right, in our life. Like if we will go to it and look at it and seek it, there are answers for everything. We learn who the Father is, and so we can learn how to emulate his love. We know who Jesus is, so we emulate his actions, the way he loved. But you can't do that if you're not in the Word. That's why, like, you know, King David, he's writing all these songs. He's always talking about, I meditate on your word day and night. He always talks about his precepts and God's law and commandments being put on his heart. We have to know God's word. And so it's the same application as last week. Get into the word. Because chances are, 
a lot of us maybe didn't get into the Word last week. It's chances are that you wanted to, and then you read it once or twice, and then it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really what you wanted it to be. Recently, I was challenged after my own sermon. Right? That's good. <laughs> and last, so I started the Bible in ninety days again. And so I do an audio Bible in 90 days. And I've done, this is the fourth time I'm going to do it. I'm not saying that you need to do that. But you need to get into the Word of God. I've been to Bible college. I still take Bible college classes. I'm not above reading God's Word daily. Right? Like, I have a lot of stuff memorized. I know a lot of theology. But I need God's Word still every single day of my life. Not just for theology. Not just to understand big concepts about God, but for my day-to-day life to love my wife and my kids better, to operate in my business better, to love my church better. I need the Word of God in me every single day. I don't know about you guys, but I want to know who God is. I want to know what His love actually looks like, and I want to follow it. I want to follow His commandments, but we can't do that if we're not in His Word. So this week, again, I challenge you guys, pick a plan, any plan. Go to your Bible app, any one of them, right? There's some that are really easy. There's some that are really difficult. Pick one and stick with it and get into the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is reverent of your Word, that loves to be in your Word that seeks your word. Lord, that we take the truth of your scripture and we put it in our hearts. We meditate on it day and night. Lord, I believe if we do that and we, we, we are constantly in your word, we will be a church that is known for our love for one another. But Lord, we can't love one another without your power without your grace, Lord. And that's why we need to abide in you, have your words abide in us so that we can love one another and we can have a better, more healthy church. Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us um, on the days that we just feel tired or scripture seems boring. Spirit, help us in our moments of weakness. Lord, creating us a fire and a passion to be in your word and that from that we would love one another as you have defined it, as you have given us the example of what true love is, that we would emulate and copy that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.